0: Hello and it's a very warm welcome once again to the Exchanges Discourse podcast. I'm your host Dr Gareth J. Johnson. We are a companion podcast to the Interdisciplinary Exchanges journal which has been published since 2013 by the Institute of Advanced Study at the University of Warwick, of which I'm the Editor-in-Chief. Each episode uh, we talk quite often to authors who might publish with the journal about their research and their academic publication experiences along with advice for new authors. So, episodes, though, we also talk about developments of the journal and scholarly communications in general, alongside offering guidance for potential contributors, too. Today's episode, though, once again, I am talking to one of the authors who contributed to our recent special issue on The Lonely Nerd. So, let's listen to them now. Well, today I'm joined by Elena C. Showleski who is one of the authors who recently published in our special issue on The Lonely Nerds. Elena, it is an absolute pleasure to have you with us today.
1: Yeah, it's so great to see you again, (laughs) (laughs) guys. And hello, audience. I'm very glad to be a guest on this podcast. I'm Elena Cichilewski. I'm from Germany and I'm an academic writing instructor at the University of Bremen and I'm also teaching at the Institute of English and American Studies at the University of Edinburgh.
0: Fantastic! Well that saves me asking you where, where you're from and to tell us something about yourself. I always like it when the guest pre it, it makes it so much easier in these recordings. <laughs> now obviously, we do like to start with a little more context than that, so uh, in terms of, you know, obviously your writing instructor, and your, your research activities and the like, what are you working on at the moment and what are you, what's your kind of focus?
1: So at the moment I'm trying to write a book, an academic book at that, on um, representations of interspecies kinship in North American young adult fiction. Um, That's not really connected to the article we are going Mm. to talk about in a minute, but it's also very exciting and I've written an article connected to that for another special issue of Exchanges, which will appear later. Uh, so my article that we're going to talk about today is connected to one of my side projects and mm. um, starting in, in October, I will teach a class on Muslim American cultures mm. at the University of Oldenburg. It will be great fun. We will talk about uh, comic books and music videos and photography. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: I am deeply sorry I can't be in the audience for that course because that sounds so interesting. <laughs>
1: Yeah, actually, I've uploaded the syllabus for the class to my academia profile thing. Um, oh, yeah. So, everybody who's interested in that can Google my name and then download it.
0: I shall add a link to that into the podcast description.
1: So, one of the comic books I've chosen for the class is mm. G. Willow Wilson's Miss um, Marvel superhero comic book. And I know Gaz has already heard of those <laughs> books.
0: Yes, Gaz is, has a large collection of superhero comic books, much to his shame. <laughs> so yes so obviously I mean for the for the nerds issue um the article you wrote was a place where everyone is a legendary hero and a total dork representing the American nerd community as an antidote to loneliness in G. Willow Wilson's Miss Marvel comics obviously with the recent Miss Marvel series being fresh in everyone's mind and I've also read the Miss Marvel comics myself I was particularly excited by this article this is this is speaking to something I love as an individual, as well as talking about an academic level. So for those folks who've, to their own personal shame, have yet to read your article, <laughs> do you want to tell us a bit more about it? Tell them what you know. You went into within it.
1: Yeah, so if before you read my article, the listeners of the podcast, you might want to have a look at uh, the comic books themselves by G. Willow Wilson. First one is called Miss Marvel No Normal. That's a good point to start to just like get what I'm talking about. So in those comic books we have a Pakistani-American teenage protagonist called Kamala Khan. and she is a huge nude. She just loves video games and she's writing fan fiction and um, her main passion are superhero comics. And um, in the course of the books, she becomes a superhero herself. She has superhuman powers and she can change the shape and size of her body and um, uses start to protect the people of New Jersey and mm. help them. And what's really interesting about the comic books is that um, Kamala's faith, she's a Muslim, also plays an important role in her life, but also for her superheroing activities, which she connects to the Quran, basically. And uh, that's one thing. The other thing is that her nerdiness is represented in a really interesting way, I think. And that's also what my article is about. So Mm. most people, when they hear the term nerd, they think of, you know, um, white guys who uh, wear glasses and um, lack social skills.
0: That's two out of three for me, then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's, well, Kamala obviously is not like that, right? So she's Pakistani American, Mm. she's Muslim, she's um, a girl, of course and yeah i think that's really fascinating and the way the comic deals with that is and i was really disappointed that the tv series does not really put that much emphasis on Kamala's nerdiness i mean mm. i guess, guess they had to put all those action scenes in pakistan into <laughs> it there wasn't that much room for it but i think it's one thing that makes the comic books really special to uh, Kamala's identity as a nude. And in the books, Kamala is really struggling with her ambitious parents and their expectations. And some of her classmates are just racist jokes and they bully Mm -hmm. her. And um, what uh, helps Kamala cope with all those struggles is the supportive nerd community that she is Mm -hmm. a part of. Mm -hmm. And um, I think what the, well, what my article argues is what the the books do is, They celebrate nerd subculture as um, a way that can connect individuals that are from different backgrounds through their shared nerdy interests and um, help to increase mutual understanding between them.
0: I think that so resonated with me that I can remember when I was a timid little 18 year old going to university and no one in my family had been to university before so it was a totally alien experience. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, how am I going to cope with this? You know, I like the subject I'm doing, but, you know, oh, just living away from home in this. And then I discovered, oh, there's a science fiction society. There's a role playing society. I'm not the only geeky science nerdy role playing guy. are just yeah. the
1: best, aren't they? <laughs> yeah.
0: I know that it's such a welcoming, such a, and such a varied community as well. So I always feel that got me through my time, certainly as an undergraduate. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that's also one part that makes Kamala as a protagonist so relatable to uh, very different readers. That is because mm. I mean, the people who pick up comic books are often already nerds, and then they they have something they can relate to, even if they're not um, teenage girls of color mm. living in mm. New Jersey.
0: I'm sitting here in my, my home office and I can like see my graphic novel collection across the room, which is why I'm just chuckling to myself. But they are such a part of my my personal identity. Reading Kamala's experiences and reading your analysis of it, you know, it's like, yeah, this is something, I'm not a Pakistani-American young girl, but there are these these tropes of commonality that I can just recognise. And I feel it does feel authentic. And I, I loved that within the comics that I could identify with, the protagonist, despite myself being actually largely dissimilar on many of the sort of cultural sides.
1: So what's your favourite comic book in your collection?
0: Oh, can okay. I ask
1: that? Oh, I it, it, no, of
0: course you can ask me the nerdy question, yeah. it will. I'd, I'd be split between Green Lanterns and my Judge Dreads. My Judge oh. Dread was kind of my first childhood serious comic love, but Green Lantern was my gateway into American comic books. And that was because I'm a huge sci-fi fan and it felt the most sci-fi oriented of, of all of them. And who wouldn't want a magic wishing ring that could do anything? You know, it seems great. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> which which is why I quite liked in the Miss um, Marvel TV series that she's manifesting um, force manipulation powers in similar to Green Lantern. Less so than the kind of in beginning in the comics with the uh, extension of the manipulation of her body, perhaps. But I, I went her you know.
1: powers looked really cool in the TV series, mm. I guess. I know I could imagine that if they had taken her comic book comic uh, powers of mm. you know enlarging her, yeah. in her that would have been kind of creepy. I guess.
0: It was the moment when she extended out that giant hand, energy hand, and I just went, "Yes!" <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, I sound like a little t- you know teenage girl getting excited at this. on here. <laughs> Not a serious beardy baldy academic, but never mind. <laughs> but it was that sheer joy of the series and in the comics. It's one of the things that's always attracted me to it. Is I love those explorations within any, any comic book series that is pleasure, it's pleasurable, it's exciting, it's joyful, that sure this darkness and this conflict, etc. But it's that pure unadulterated adulterated joy. It's the same reason I like Spider-Man comics for the same reason that a lot of time, a lot of that is the fun from peter parker before the parker bad luck kicks in and terrible things happen but
1: <laughs> yeah i also like that it has well, the comic books at least they have the very particular sense of humor when you mm. look at the art for example and the the facial expressions of the mm. characters and i really love that about mm. them as well
0: and i must say with you know the expansion of you know comics into the kind of the, the multimedia universe we know now exist in it lets me enjoy the shows on this sort of secondary level because I'm appreciating all the nods, all the easter eggs, all those elements that are put in there and ah, and my, my poor long-suffering wife sits there and looks at me and goes, why are you chuckling? Ah, well, I'll have to explain something. It'll take 10 minutes to explain about why that one thing was funny.
1: But all <laughs> those little inside jokes, you know, they make us feel like part of the community, right? Yeah. Make us feel special.
0: Let, I mean, f- and for me in the Miss Marvel series, it was just a tiny sting of the X-Men 92 theme in that last episode and I was like, oh, mutants, oh. <laughs> oh dear, yes. So obviously, listeners, as you realise, we could talk on geeky, nerdy topics on comics all day, but that that's not the point of this podcast. We're going to, you know, we try and focus on academic matters and academic publishing, not that this isn't an a- academic uh, point of discussion. So. I should ask you, Elena, you know, are you, are you working on any other publications at the moment? You kind of touched on um, some stars. Yeah, I've
1: already um, kind of hinted at it for mm. um, the extended special mm. issue on the Anthropocene and the more than human world. I will contribute an article about Asian American young adult science fiction, mm. and I will look at two book series and um, analyze how they represent empathy mm. as a desirable answer to challenges of the Anthropocene. So, the protagonists in both book series are represented as very empathetic and as um trying to make things better for everyone. and the villains are those um cold-hearted CEOs who just mm. want to get rich and
0: uh, excellent. Then I'll... get
1: their factories destroyed oh. and they deserve <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> now, obviously, I, 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 you know I shall enjoy reading the final version of that we do of course ask of exchanges about experiences with publishing that haven't been as exciting or haven't been as good I dare I say bad experiences now as a you know relatively fresh-faced academic have you had any bad publishing experiences yet
1: well I wouldn't say it's really bad but Mm. it can get a bit annoying if peer review reports take forever to arrive because mm. then you're on your, like knee deep in other projects and get the peer review to something you wrote like a year ago then you have to think back to your mindset back then and what you actually wanted to say and that's just it's a bit annoying but i also get that it's difficult for editors to get peer reviewers everybody's super busy and doing a good peer review takes time and effort and yeah.
0: I know as a peer reviewer myself that I will either do the peer review on the day it comes to me or the day before the deadline and I think so many of our peer reviewers are very much like that, that it's you know you'll some you'll get in straight away and it's fantastic and others it takes that extra bit of time with people as you say people are busy people may need the times and you know some folks are so diligent in what they write for us they've gone away they've done research they've almost you know offered a, a second take on the paper so I, I deeply value up peer reviewers but yes I really wish they would be faster All the time That's, it's an eternal problem as an editor and as you say for authors too so what about good experiences? What stood out in your mind in, you know, your publishing um, career, shall we say? What been the good experiences? And I'm not fishing for compliments and exchanges here, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested <laughs> on things that other publishers do.
1: So what I always appreciate when I submit uh, something to a journal is that if, if, if the editors respond promptly, if mm-hmm. they um, always keep you in the loop and what stage your submission is right now, and if they give you like time frames when to expect the peer Mm. review reports for example so that you can you know make accommodations for that and maybe fit your schedule so that you'll have time to address the peer review um concerns i really like that um i've also received some really excellent peer review reports that really really helped to make my uh, my articles better and i'm very grateful for that
0: excellent that sounds like fantastic practice i have to say i at the end of the day, the, you know, the peer review, the editors and the author, I always, the article is a collaboration between these folks. It's not an antagonistic thing. And so it's really good to hear you having experiences like that. And that's very much the model of peer review. I would strongly advocate to any reviewers listening in.
1: Yeah, shout out to the Canadian journal Jeunesse, mm. um, who provided that excellent experience.
0: Brilliant. And
1: they have a really lovely, they have really lovely stuff. So, thank okay. you
0: always nice to know that, that personal recommendation so in that respect looking back on your you know your publishing experiences good bad indifferent etc and particularly thinking about you know early career researchers or first-time authors of which we have quite a few on exchanges what's the kind of one piece of golden advice you'd offer to them
1: yeah, that's a bit of a tricky question for me because I recently taught an eight-hour workshop on <laughs> academic publishing for early career scholars, so okay, let me well, condense I'll, that. I'll, sit,
0: I'll, just say, I'll let you back and talk, uh, sit back and just talk for eight hours, that's good.
1: <laughs> an interactive workshop which encouraged um, the participants to um, you know, do research to see which journal is a fit for what they're planning, and to look at what else has been published in that mm-hmm. journal and think about their own planned article in that term and so on. Yeah, so I would say the most important advice is to find a publication outlet that is right for the kind of text you want to write. And I think that's probably the most important thing
0: (laughs) to, uh, yeah. That's brilliant. An academic can summarise an eight-hour workshop into a minute statement. (laughs) That alone, Elena, is a fantastic skill. (laughs) and you should value it and recognize it and celebrate it.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah and also like it's always good to keep your eyes open for special issues on stuff that's connected to your own research topics um, because those special issues can be a great way to reach a broader audience than just one article in one journal alone. Then again I'm always in favor of open access publishing because I mean, many of us are working at kind of niche topics that are not relevant for a very large amount mm. of people. Like, I've checked my article on It has been downloaded 37 times and I'm, I'm quite impressed it's that often. So once it has been downloaded uh, by me a, and...
0: Well, remember, it doesn't, it doesn't include the people who downloaded the whole issue oh, of, of, nice. as well. So there'll be those folks who've downloaded the whole issue exchanges so the, the 37 is the bare minimum. Yes,
1: exactly. So, yeah, and then if your research is only relevant for such a small group of people, you should make an effort to make it accessible for this small group mm. of people because, I mean, not everybody is working at a fancy university with a university library that has the budget to buy everything mm. you would want them to buy. So, um, I feel like open access is a good way to to make sure that really everybody for whom your article is relevant can actually access
0: it. I mean, obviously I'm a very firm believer in open access, not least for its access for public, who obviously aren't working at university, who literally do not have that access rights via libraries. And, you know, topics like you write on, Elena, you know, these are of interest to a wider community of people, you know, educated um, folks. So I, I can only celebrate your celebration of it. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Well, in which case, that was everything I was going to ask you today. So it just remains me to say, Elena, thank you so much for coming on and offering us these insights. And I've really enjoyed our conversation, as I suspected I would.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to come back once my other Exchanges article has been published.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. We'd love to have our authors come and talk about their work. And it'll be interesting to see where you are at that point. So, Elena? Thank you very much. Thank you. And my thanks for my guest for coming in to talk with us. And our next episode, we've got another of our past authors coming to chat. For now, though, I am Dr. Gareth J. Johnson. and I've been your host for this Exchanges Discourse podcast. Now, if you wanted to find out more about the journal, there's a link in the episode description or you can find as easily by searching for Exchanges Journal Warwick. If you'd like to get in touch with a question about the podcast, or to discuss a potential submission, or indeed anything else, you can always reach me via exchangesjournal at warwick.ac.uk or via Twitter as exchangesias. Thank you for listening, and please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to catch every new episode.